Namaste everyone. Uh, we will start the webinar uh, with the invocation of Sri Aurobindo's Gayatri Mantra. Tatsavitarvaram rupam Jyoti parasyadhimahi Yannasatyenadipayet Namaste once again and a very warm welcome to the fourth chapter of Vaichariki and our topic for the webinar is death, dying and beyond. We have seen in the last one and a half year a lot of panic all over due to the pandemic. Death is indeed a big question that what is death? What happens after one's death and how should one look at the death? Should we fear it or there is an art of science to perceive death? Let us understand today in today's webinar. Today, we have esteemed Dr. Alok Pandeji from Sri Aurobindo Ashram as a keynote speaker, Professor Joy Senji from IIT Khadakpur, and Dr. Vladimir Yatsenko from Lagresh Sri Aurobindo Integral Life Center as a panelist, and Dr. Mala Kapadiaji from Rastram School of Public Leadership as the moderator for the discussion. With these words, now I'd like to invite Professor Sampadanda Mishraji to give the welcome address for the webinar. I welcome you, Sampadanandaji. Namaskar to all of you. And uh, I welcome you all to this fourth chapter of Vaichariki, which started in the month of August uh, with education as the first idea to be discussed on in the light of Sri Aurobindo. Then we took up the topic on Varna Jati. Then we took up the topic in the third chapter as nationalism in the light of Sri Aurobindo. And this month being Sri Aurobindo's Mahasamadhi month. So we thought of, we take up this topic, important topic, death, dying and beyond. So for this, uh, we have uh, really uh, the authority, I would say, um, on the topic. Uh, Dr. Alok Pandeji as the keynote speaker. The whole idea is that we have in the keynote a uh, conceptual clarity about whatever is the topic. And then in the panel discussion, today we have for the panel discussion, Professor Jai Senji from IIT and uh, Vladimir from USA. And uh, Professor Malaji will be uh, moderating the whole session. And here we contemporize and then we see the relevance of what has been put in the light of Sri Aurobindo. So how relevant they are in the present time. And we know 
that death is something which is so gripping this whole idea of death and the fear of death is something which every one of us were affected by and we know that this is the eternal truth jatasyahi dhruva mrityu dhruvam janma mrutasya cha krishna says tasmad apariharyarthe so why why do you want to grieve over something which is which cannot be avoided and then the most important verse in the gita which says do it is very assuring very convincing yet because of our narrowness of consciousness because of our engagement with the external world we still are not convinced if something we talk about the what the shastra says we know the whole philosophy of death dying but when it comes when someone truly dies in front of us someone who is dear to us we also face the same problem we also have the same nervousness what happened to arjuna and this is where the the great teachings are great ashwasana for all of us at least they help us to take our life further and krishna explains very beautifully immediately after this says that it is vyakta madhyane bharata everything starts with from the avyakta then vyakta then merges in avyakta so he explains that nothing is going out of the existence it is just starting from the unmanifest form to the manifest and again going to the unmanifest sounds really good we understand it mentally but how do we accept it how do we put it into the real practice is there an art and science of dying do we know that how to die peacefully and how to accept death these are all going to be the topic of discussion today i welcome you all and with these few words i hand over the platform to satyajit to take it forward dhanyawad thank you so much professor sampadanda mishra ji for sharing the welcome address i'd like to inform all our participants that we will have the talk for one hour including a q and a session at the end followed by the panel discussion before i invite our keynote speaker i'd like to give a short introduction about dr alok pandeji dr alok pandeji is a seeker on the path of integral yoga a psychiatrist by profession he has had several encounters with death during the course of his medical practice being a philosopher by temperament he raised several issues and sought answers to these both within and without but neither the prevalent scientific and current intellectual notions nor the traditional religious and conventional spiritual belief could satisfy his quest or resolve deep existential issues regarding life and death karma and rebirth suffering and pain and most of all the goal of the human journey it is only when he came in touch with shri aurobindo and the mother that he found these issues abundantly answered and the thirst of his soul more than quenched by the vast vision and cool refreshing springs of shri aurobindo's works and revelation he is presently associated with the shri aurobindo international institute of integral health and research pondicherry an institute dedicated to the work and vision of shri aurobindo in the field of health 
I welcome you, Dr. Alok Pandeji, to deliver the keynote address and share your thoughts on death, dying, and beyond. Professor Alok Pandeji, over to you. Namaste. Let me start with the paradox, because life presents paradoxes to us um, to help us grow. And one of the paradoxes that what happens deep within us as a convic conviction about life about the world around, our, about our own self, our surface life seems to deny it. And among these denials, uh, there are some beautiful denials, I mean, interesting denials. For instance, if you ask anybody deep inside, what do you want life to be? Beautiful or ugly? Happy or sad? Wise or foolish? Strong or weak? Answer will be universally the same, regardless of, uh, you know, where we are born, regardless of whether we have read a scripture or not, whatever be our gender, uh, you know, anything, the answer will be the same. But when we look at life on the surface, just the opposite. We want life to be beautiful, it presents an ugly face. We want love to be eternal, yet we see it broken with sometimes just a phrase or a word. We want beauty to sprawl all around us, but we see the ugly faces of uh, creation all around. So one of these paradoxes is the phenomena of death. I use the word phenomena because uh, before we use, uh, make this fellow look as if he is ultimate, let's understand and examine that it is basically a phenomena. By phenomena of death, I mean that there is sudden disappearance of the person with whom we connected through a certain form and body. But is it the end? So there is a, uh, we all know this uh, well-known story in Mahabharata where all the four Pandava brothers go to take water from a pool and they all become unconscious because Yaksh has a question for them, question to them, and they are unable to answer. And then finally goes Yudhishthir and Yaksh is none else but Dharmaraja who asks him several questions. And the last question as the story goes is Kimasharyam. What is the most surprising thing in the world? And Yudhishthir says, the most surprising thing is that we see everybody, people die every day. Yet we believe that we are not going to die. Actually, this answer can be interpreted in two ways. One is that we are foolish enough to believe that we are going to live immortally. That's how some people interpret it, that you are going to die. This sansar is nothing but, you know, shanik, it's transient. And uh, to even believe or think about permanence is uh, a foolishness. On the other hand, we can look at it just the other way because uh, the question is cryptic and the answer is also cryptic. That whatever be the appearances, there is something deep within us which does believe in immortality. So um, death as an appearance, is it really an appearance or a reality? So what we really see from the phenomenal point of view that forms do disintegrate. It's not new to human life. It's true of all existences, even your stars are born and they die after millions of years or uh, whenever their light is over. So essentially, forms and their disintegration is part of creation. And seen this way, it maintains a balance because uh, if there is too much of crowding, whether in space or upon earth, it's not something very desirable. So forms do disintegrate, but where do they disintegrate? They disintegrate into the forms of energy not only energy, but also information, which means somewhere in terms of consciousness. We see this also happening in our everyday life, something very similar. When we sleep, 
we continue to exist in the dream world which is as real as the waking world in the dream state in the dream state uh, sometime we remember that we are in a dream state so dream within a dream but more often than not we experience life as real if the snake is chasing you we run away if we see we are traveling in an aircraft with friends we are with friends traveling in an aircraft if you see that you know we are on a road which is dark and you know we are going in a cycle we are navigating through the darkness or if we see there is a bright sunny field and we are walking through it we are walking through it but the strange part is that that life doesn't seem to live on breathing we just try to recollect that it's very interesting that how does life exist in that mode and it does exist at some level and uh, leaving aside our convention it's very difficult to say as one of the stories says whether this is real or that is real this is real in here and that is real in that domain so essentially what happens is that life and existence change their modes even in our normal life we see this you know nowadays you know when we watch a television or when we are in our thoughts life changes its mode yes of course here because life is based on matter and its processes we cannot uh, live without it but the fact is that existence and life they do not uh, they cannot by their nature they cannot uh, die but they change their mode of functioning and this we can see even in our ordinary human existence that from birth to death whatever we call as death there is a constant race between the two and even when death seems to overtake us completely yet it is a process of perpetual life so that's the something which i often which when i learned in medical school i was very surprised that none of your cells at birth are the same cells with which we die they have changed over several times and it is said that within 7 years time earlier people used to believe that the brain neurons they you know live forever but within few years almost every cell of the body is changed so we don't use the word death we use the word reproduction they have changed so they have brought out fresh cells and the old ones have died in fact because the old ones die there is a tendency for new ones to form so they are part of perpetual process of life through which a balance is maintained if we really look at our own life we can understand it but something happens between this change over that slowly the body loses its capacity to you know it's no more that flexible that freshness is lost and over a period of time there is uh, more and more of disintegration and eventually what we call as the phenomena of death so why this happens this is something very amazing at at a very phenomenal level right now i'm speaking of uh, salamanders do grow their limbs and uh, our famous uh, lizard does grow its tail there are trees which can live for thousands of years so what happens with man why are we not able to continue this process without really a decline there are several theories about it but uh, one of the simple things is that each cellular reproduction it's like a carbon copy so each carbon copy becomes weaker and weaker something we see with virus mutations so as a result of it over a period of time the carbon copy is feebler and the errors in the body accumulate over a period of time the there is a decline and death there is another theory that there is a genetic programming so every species has its genetic programming and it's very very fascinating that this genetic programming has something to do with two events in life one is with breathing and the second is with reproduction most animals except human beings 
they die once their capacity to reproduce is over so there is nothing like menopause that's why you know we'll see that you know i mean animal species they don't go through that but in human beings there is something like menopause so it's like a second lease of life and um, there is grandparenting all these things are there but most animals their lifespan is limited to the period through which they can reproduce so there is a link between reproductive capacity and death and this link needs to be explored there is a whole passage of mother where she beautifully interestingly explains that each sexual act is a step towards death it's as if this energy can either be um you know degraded into sexual pleasure going downward or it can extend itself horizontally into another santan as you know that's how the cells keep changing or it can be turned upward toward the uh, nectar of immortality that's how the yogis they try to take this energy upward and it's extreme case what is known as uh, in hatha yoga is khichdi mudra so people try to do it mechanically by making the tongue you know touch the palate <laughs> but it's not something mechanical when the whole consciousness is turned upward and goes upward and upward the entire thing tends to point upward and in an extreme situation this can happen and it is said that when you enter into that mudra then you can actually taste immortality it's a very it's a way of saying that yes when the entire consciousness turns upward it can enter into the realms of immortality so what really is immortality and what is mortality when we look at it from this point of view mortality is basically because anything that is limited has a tendency there are two contrary uh, seemingly opposite tendencies within uh, each one of us one is to expand towards infinity this we are born with why because deep inside again we have an intuition of infinity we are finite is our appearance but deep within us we have this intuition of infinity that's why Uh, you know when desire takes over a human being he wants first one thing after he has it he wants another thing when he has another thing he wants yet another thing we when he has yet another thing he wants few more things when he has few more things he wants everything because there is this idea that we are infinite and we want to create it in finite terms so 1 plus 1 plus 1 that's how we want to create you know infinity but obviously it's not possible so this is one tendency on the other hand this tendency is to preserve the limits the seema the form this tendency is equally there these two contrary tendencies which are there as if the form has a purpose and if you look at it the form has a purpose of actually creating a sense of individuality initial it's like the shell of this um, uh you know when we have these uh, ice cream some people like to eat it uh, you know uh, in a cup or something but uh, some people like it with a cone and originally when you make an ice cream old ways i don't know how they make it now but you put it inside a cone and then you put it in deep freeze so now what does this outer shell do it cuts off a series of forces it's the same ice cream you know when we used to have ice cream in villages malai barav then you know you give it uh, there's the same thing but they are in different different cones for the sake of convenience so it uh, form and name tend to limit the infinite and thereby it helps to create individualities so this is its purpose and there we see the other aspect which is very fascinating about death i am talking right now still only about the phenomena we are not going into the metaphysical aspect and that is what really holds this uh, form uh shubindu uses a word uh, half a phrase in savitri breath fast and frame 
this frame is held by breath so it means that the more we can learn to master the breath the more we can actually live longer this is exactly what is uh, discovered in um, uh, you know with the animal world that the animals which live longest for instance the tortoise and the turtle who can live up to maybe 500 years and uh, 300 to 500 years and how many times they breathe they breathe about 3 to 5 times in a minute and the animals which um, die very fast rabbits for instance they breed very fast and they breathe very fast both breathe and breed so if uh, at a very pragmatic level it means that if we really want to prolong life one of the secret lies in breathing and the second lies in breeding so sometimes we feel very worried that there are people who are breeding very fast and you know we start worrying about demographics don't worry they are hurtling toward death because this is how uh, in ancient times brahmacharya was basically one of the ingredients of course brahmacharya is not only about mastering breath but look at the story of bhishma how bhishma could reach a point where he could have the ikshamrityu simply because he was one of those who had practiced brahmacharya to its utmost limits and and i remember one very interesting bhishma lived to 170 years but i remember about uh, my own um, maternal uncle he was uh, you know he, his wife died after one year and then he used to play football he would smoke and but um, later on he gave that up he was very healthy 90 he must have left his body in 95 very healthy till 90 and i asked him mama ji aapke paas itna shamta kaise itna how how do you have so much strength inside you he said beta it is all because of brahmacharya he could take a rod and literally bend it that was his you know iron rod sorry ha huh? not plastic so this was the strength inside his limbs simply because and he attributed it only to one thing which was brahmacharya he said after he, um, you know your mommy died i just didn't, i decided not to get married and i spent my time this way so even about the form there are many secrets uh, before we talk about you know the immortality within which is of course a fact but the real stress the real rub is ultimately can the form really be immortalized so i want to emphasize on this see that there is a soul within which is immortal is a question of discovery and um, i'm sure you know that you know people must be making effort to that discovery but the truth is that the moment we discover the soul come in contact with the psychic life we discover immortal life one of the things that happens when the psychic discovery is made what sampad bhai was beautifully saying that you know uh, outwardly forms come and go but deep inside there is something which remains immortal and the moment we discover it one of the things is we discover the secret sense of immortality and it's not just a inner conviction we actually discover our some of our lives which we have lived and we can also have a sense of a life which is going to come you know in savitri there is a whole beautiful passage on that a witness burning in the sanctuary it knows the births which have gone by and it knows the births which are going to come simply because it contains the uh, secret um, strings half finished passages books chapters all that which are yet to be finished flashes glimpses of course past life is not about uh, you know people see elaborate and everybody wants to see himself as somebody very great but that's much of it is you know subliminal uh, messages and imaging but we can have glimpses of a true life moments which were lived in a very very intense beautiful way 
so these are the elements of which go and get ingrained within our psychic life just maybe about couple of hours back we are taking a walk and somebody asked me about uh, have i ever been to kashmir and i remember that those moments in ladakh were one of the best moments of my life strangely why because that's a long story but to cut it short they were moments which have got integrated within my soul they were the time when i read the synthesis they were time when i was in wilderness they were the moments when i could just be alone you know uh, with um, you know because because of various reasons but the point is that if we really want to discover this immortal substance within us then we get rid of the fear of death this is the ultimate sure shot remedy because uh, when we discover it we know that this is not the first time we have been there is a very interesting um, poem or a or a couplet by malana rumi he says the same thing that you know why should i be afraid of death when i died a stone i was born a um, you know plant and when i died a plant i was born an animal when i died an animal i was born a bird and then a beast and finally man why should i be afraid of death and that's exactly what if we take our tantric view of different forms 84 lakh yonis so there is a transition through forms and who would be uh, so foolish to really believe that you know change of form is really death it is nothing but a transition from one house to another or from maybe one country to another surely there is um, a bit of pain and sorrow because you are leaving behind those whom you loved and cared but the interesting part is and that's what is important to remember we often say oh bichara chala gaya bichara nahi gaya he is very happy by the way uh, you are unhappy and i give this example of when somebody is uh, i mean as as children we have i'm sure most of us in india have experienced it when you went for studies to a place far away from your village so i used to go to pune ifmc so i would sit in the train and parents everybody has come and uh, mom has made all those puri sabji and you know all the instructions all tears and everything uh, what was my state i was waiting for the train to start honestly and when the train started they would weep i'll get to know my mom is weeping two days please write a letter every week at least so it was my you know what could i do now you don't get time so i'll write for all the four weeks in one month and i'll post it on set days everything is fine because you know you you don't want them to suffer but if you ask me how was my life i was happy i was happy to have moved ahead so we must understand that the man who has departed or the being who has departed the person who has departed is actually going towards progress this is one of the first fundamental things which we learn about rebirth we have been told it's a question of reward and punishment which makes death life really gory because if it's about reward and punishment then none of us has a chance imagine you know in one lifetime few good deeds and much selfishness to take the definition of bad deed uh, whatever way we look at it nobody will have a hope ideally we should be keep going down and earth would have gone to perdition you know as children people were told if you hear somebody speaking you will become a chipkali in another birth just to wonder my god i'll become a chipkali i'll become a lizard no way but this is how we were taught that death and rebirth is a question of reward and punishment but with shurbindo one of the best thing was its evolution and it takes away the entire sting of death it's progress it's going from lower class to higher class who would not want it 
anybody who wants progress and that is the secret reason of death if you really look at it in a certain form we can progress only up to a while see when we are a child we are very supple and plastic everything is a wonder everything we want to learn so we grow very fast all children have adults as you know i want to wear the shoes which papa can wear or mama can wear and i want to be able to see the movies that they can see i want to be able to go to the places they can go now when you are grown up you realize ki it was not worth it and worst is the books and the education make us lose all the wonder about life because we seem to have every answer from every book when we lose this wonder about life we begin to decline actually it has been documented that from the age of 30 onwards our neurons begin to shrink they begin to degenerate whereas modern studies show that there is an element of neuroplasticity if we remain active if our brain loves to learn new things you can go on for a long time the same is true of the body perhaps if brain can why can't the heart why can't the rest of the body so one of the problems of death key progress is that we cannot progress indefinitely in a certain form why because it gets fixed form by its nature means limits so nature does very good cementing work it builds a form which is not easy to you know break down and there is a purpose behind it otherwise you know if forms are very loose like gods have very plastic forms so that is a problem with them they can change from one form to another very readily that's how you see dharmaraja becomes a yaksha and a human being and talks but man cannot do it so the form is too rigid and this rigidity as we have seen was required to individualize which was important why because unlike the gods we are meant to become individual centers of the divine which is something very interesting but within a form the progress is only limited so beyond a point what happens the form disintegrates so sometime paradoxically if the growth is tremendous in one lifetime that's why perhaps the idea is that they whom god loves too much they come back fast now i am not saying that to judge life like that is any any over simplistic adage one has to look at it but there is some truth in it look at swami vivekananda look at shri ramakrishna paramahansa many of these yogis somebody asked me oh shubindo left his body at the age of 78 i said it is so surprising given all that vastness and infinity he had crowded in his head and heart i am talking just to the form i am not right now you know speaking about the avatar and the divine consciousness if you really look at it how his form could really bear the impact of all this it's not easy because this form has to support everything on earth the form has to support there is a line in savitri when savitri is born the fragile earthly vase it's a vase so there has to be a harmony between inner progress and the outer form so what the outer form does it doesn't allow us to progress very fast looks like a bad plan but in god's wisdom there is nothing like a bad plan otherwise what would have happened we entered a form and our soul remembers who we are so what would happen from childhood you will start mama you are not my mama papa you are not my mama you know papa and within few years he is a bairagi this is not what god wants earthly life will remain what it is so he wants the earthly life to change so for that reason there seems to be a struggle why because the form will not release consciousness from within so easily very often people say why is it also difficult to find the soul 
well precisely for this reason if it was very easy then like sanat kumar and uh, sanat nandan we would have just said ah, we are not interested in creation we turn away and go away but this is the challenge to adapt the form to the new consciousness and for the new consciousness to adapt to the form and therein lies the real secret of immortality of the form so slowly as we develop so the form has to adapt to all the new things that are crowding inside us we cannot imagine the impact uh, you know this inrush of information experience of life have on the form because after all it's through the form that all the transactions are taken place taking place whether it be the brain the heart or every other system and slowly it adapts it grows and as it grows it allows more consciousness to be released over a period of time so this is where the secret of immortality lies that we have to find a way that we can grow infinitely and yet the form can progress simultaneously till it is found death will be there why because the need for infinity is there need for infinite experience is there it's part of we are programmed for that that's why people get glued to television even the old people who curse their children you are spending so much time on phone and television just tell them don't discuss argue with them just tell them papa ye wala channel dekh lo you see how they get glued on the phone or this thing why because there are new things which are constantly impinging and there is this sense within human beings to experience life differently in a wide variety life is like that so as a result the only other way one can do it is by disintegration of the form and taking a new life new form so it's an evolutionary process when we understand it's an evolutionary process there is nothing to feel afraid it is a process of life and not something which opposes life let me read few lines from savitri so this is um, shubindu describes about death all here is a mystery of contraries darkness a magic of self hidden light light is hidden inside the form and that is being released and when we understand it we understand the great sense and purpose of creation it is not like you know this world is full of death suffering what all we have made reward punishment come out of this cycle such a nirashavadi hatash philosophy this is not india india is about facing the challenge of life facing the challenge of death i mean i feel so happy that there were beings who could say that we die when we want to die you know there is a story even in the western context of queen elizabeth when she is um, you know on the deathbed and there are farmers who have come outside and they want some bread they are protesting for it and the ministers don't want the queen to know it and the queen says says i must attend to them so when she gets up they say the, all the people around say but you may die she says but death can wait look at the power of those words but death can wait these people cannot wait so shrivindu reminds us that there is something in us which finally makes a choice that choice is always with the psychic being the soul within takes the last call no death can come near but because we are so identified with the form so identified with life on the surface that anything happens on the surface and we get a jhatka and we immediately start are mar jate to acha tha you know this these thoughts are very dangerous i do believe that many autoimmune diseases etc of course please don't ask me references 
know this thing to prove it, but one day we'll discover that many of the illnesses that begin to sprout in people are because subconsciously this death wish is gone. There are constantly these two forces acting upon us. We should wish for life eternal, life immortal, life divine, life beautiful, not wish for death and dying. That's not what we are here for. And yet, till we discover the secret, death is a passage. We should not be worried about it because we know that it doesn't exist. We are only changing houses. And just like the school boy or the college boy who is going away is happy, looking forward to what's out there. But it's a suffering for those who are left behind because, again, suffering is why. Why is there suffering? It's because we are attached. We are attached in a way that, you know, this is mine. That brings suffering. If you really look at it, it's very simply, not that it's easy to get detached, but well, that's the fact. And why does that come? Because we live largely a sensory life. So the person is only the form. I know so many persons who, uh, you know, after the, they so-called died, they came in contact with those who were behind, even solaced them, even said we are in, in a beautiful space. And of course, people do all kinds of things. Sometimes they keep on the person in the memory and they start getting spirit communication for years. This is very dangerous because most likely the person has gone away. After death, one cannot continue ad infinitum on these planes. There is a constant push to go beyond. So if after five years, somebody says, you know, my papa or my brother comes to me, be sure that it is his sheath, which has been taken up by some vital force. And it's enjoying, it's a game it's playing. Why? Because in the mind, there are, there is the, who is the form maker? The mind is the form maker. Mind has created a form of a person. That's why it, it's called a persona. And that sheath, while it was left, and we wanted it, so we were strengthening it, some beings from the other worlds takes hold of that sheath. And it's not a good thing to be in communication with, you know, all these beings. Because the soul is departed. So, best way when people are departing or departed, says that you are going forward in your journey. Be happy. Send them love, not grief. That's the worst way to send away people. Send them love. What is there to feel unhappy about? The person is going to take up a new body, probably in some new place. Of course, new place, not probably. <laughs> and hopefully not in the same family. It would be so boring. Dadaji, Age, you know, all these fantastic stories. Are they are not innovative. Why should Dadaji come back again as your, you know, not that it doesn't happen, but there'll be such a boring life to come back into the same family in the same environment. Why not gone from India, born in Spain, France, US, Italy, finally say, then you come back, you are rich with experience and you realize this is life. Much better than being born in the same family, yet we want these things to happen. So we start even seeing such things. Let the dead be free. Let the departed be free. But not free too soon. That's the other part of it. So there is a period during when, when the physical death is taking place, so-called physical death. What is it? The soul is withdrawing from the body and there, there are many, many knots, nuts, bolts. As per the Upanishad, there are 101 nuts and bolts through which it is tied. The being is tied and sometimes very tight. If we are very attached, they are very tight. And when you know what happens when you open something which is very tight, there is a lot of stress. So if we are very attached, there is a lot of pain during death. 
right? Because with all the hundred one strings, we have tied ourselves. So there is, you know, while dying, one is thinking of, I'm using the word death in dying in this sense that there is no death, as I said. But while the being is getting detached from the form, you know, they will just make you a photo frame. Search for your hidden will. That's it. And if the will is, uh, you know, contrary to expectation, they will fight. Let the fellow be free. And But the more we are attached, the more pain we experience during death. But supposing we have learned to be detached, you know, mother says something very beautiful. She says, people say life is so difficult. We want to die. We want to die. I tell them, die. Die then. Die to the ego. Die to the ego. Why be so attached to this name, form, personality, outer? And if we live life like that, that's how the Jeevan Mukta lives. That's how, you know, Arjuna was asked by Sri Krishna to live. That's how Bhishma lived. That's how we see uh, Baji Prabhu, which immortalized in Shubhita, he lived. That's how the great warrior Shivaji lived. That's how the great ones lived. That they are doing everything in this world, but they are completely inwardly detached. Now, when they die, it's not a cause of pain. They simply say, Tata, bye, bye. And if they could, when we are crying, they would say, Rota, kyo hai, bhai? I am going to a better place. First of all, after death, where does one go? One transits through these different worlds. Of these, the vital is the first. And that is a painful world sometimes. Because if we are very attached to certain pravritis and tendencies, the passage can be very painful. The mother for one year was making a passage. This is in 1904-1905. Through this vital world, because she saw people suffer. So she said anybody with a little faith in the divine can go through that passage. It's like a hyper tunnel. What is that called now? You know, trains running from Mumbai to Delhi in two hours. Hypersonic tunnel. So she created in the occult worlds. Probably in the physical world, we are trying to manifest these things. So one could just enter that passage and go smoothly. Otherwise, the moment body is not there, people don't realize what a protection body is. They want to die, not realizing that in body you can reach out. When one dies in the vital world, you just are torn by forces unless one is individualized. Otherwise, one is torn by forces and forces depending upon our affinities. So if we have lived a life full of, you know, fear and lust and greed, then all these forces come to us, come with us, come with us. There's no heaven and hell. But a natural gravitation or natural, you know, upliftment depending on how we have lived our life. So to prepare for death is to weigh the way we live our life. It's not like a last moment preparation. Somebody asked Shurabindo, what about that shloka? कि जब मौत की घड़ी सामने आई तो बेटे नारायण की थी रट लगाई तुरंत खुल गए उसके बैकुंठ द्वारे हरे कृष्ण गोविंद हरे मुरारी ही सेड व्हाई व्हाट अबाउट यू नो द गीता सेज दिस लोका कि इफ यू डाई व्हाइल रिमेंबरिंग मी यू विल कम स्टेट टू मी शिवंद सेड दैट हैज टू बी सीन इन कंजंक्शन विद द अदर वन वेयर ही सेज रिमेंबर मी एट ऑल टाइम्स एंड फाइट देन व्हेन कॉन्शियसनेस इज लाइक दैट व्हेन वी लिव एज अ फ्री बीइंग हु इज अफ्रेड ऑफ डेथ बिकॉज़ वन नोज इट डजंट एग्जिस्ट सो after death we go through these worlds vital worlds there there are beings who greet us meet and greet we can't stay long because that sheath also soul wants to discard why because it knows it is going to take a lovely bath kevade ka gulab ka jal so it 
wants to shed even the vital sheath. Sheds the vital sheath. All shrad and all is for that vital sheath. Then it enters the mental worlds where depending on its thoughts, it will go to those beautiful worlds or if the thoughts have been very dark and unhealthy, then goes into that darker worlds. And then finally, where does it go? It goes into the psychic world. So beautifully, a poet has written, What happens there? God is waiting with his arms. To take us in his arms. What is there to feel bad about it? At least in India, I have not understood why people grieve over death. We believe in rebirth. So it's a progress. And we do believe that, you know, God is there. So in life, this is his workplace. That is his home. So why we are so worried about going from the workplace to the home where a divine mother is waiting? Come, my child, all that we should be worried about when we go there. Would we hang our head in shame and say, Mom, so sorry, you know, I just deviated all that you gave me towards my own selfish ends. Or we can say with our head held high, touching the feet of the world mother, Ma, thank you for giving me the strength and the wisdom to live out the purpose for which I was born. May I be born a thousand times, a ten thousand times to fulfill your will in the world. So then that is the, uh, you know, uh, attitude we develop because when we discover the soul, death loses its reality. All this fear of death is still we don't know this. This is the giant ignorance. Till we see that, you know, rebirth, birth, death, all this is a question of pain. Pain is there, suffering is there, but we are here to snatch delight from the jaws of pain. To snatch life from the jaws of death. This is what we are here for. That makes life interesting. So he reminds us. All here is a mystery of contraries, darkness, a magic of self-hidden light, suffering, some secret raptures, tragic mask, and death, an instrument of perpetual life. That's what we are seeing. There is no death actually. It's only an instrument of life. It's a cellar in the house of life. You go through a phase when you are a little dark. It's like sleep. What is sleep? Our life is but a sleep and a forgetting. This is Shakespeare, not Savitri. A life is but a sleep and a forgetting. So the, this existence is teeming with life. Only we don't experience it because the narrower we are, you know, our experience of life is so limited. So I sometimes ask my students when they come, not now, but earlier when, you know, I used to teach in Air Force days. So I would tell them, okay, tell me what trees you saw on the way. Sir, trees... I tell them, okay, from the gate till my room, how many trees and what trees? Sir, I don't remember. So he said, then that's the state we are so lost within our little self. All the time we are thinking about only our little personality. So we are afraid of death. Because this personality, this name, form, Naam Gum Jayega, Badal Jayega. Yes, of course. Name and form are meant for that. Until one day, and that we'll talk about very shortly suffering from some secret raptures tragic mask and death an instrument of perpetual life when we take away this mask we see the same Krishna who was on the battlefield of Kurushetra as Kali suddenly appears to us as the friend and lover of mankind although death walks beside us on life's road a dim bystander at the body's start and a last judgment on man's Futile works. It looks like that. 
but we are here to create immortality out of transient things. Classic example is Vyasa. He continues to live. Ramayana, Valmiki continues to live, and many others. And of course, not to speak of Shivabindu Savitri till eternity, till continue to live. This is what we are here for: to build immortality with transient things. Other is the riddle of its ambiguous face. Whose ambiguous face? Death. Death is a stair, a door, a stumbling stride. The soul must take to cross from birth to birth. A great defeat, pregnant with victory. A whip to lashes towards a deathless state. That's why this is true even of our ordinary life. And those who are immortals, you know, Mother Shirobindo, when people say they departed, I just don't understand this language. When Nalini uh, Da has that experience of the Divine Mother in the new body, she says, "I am here, just like previously, very much the same. The human, the divine, you can connect with me just as you used to connect earlier." So this is so true because in at least myself, with these physical eyes, I had not seen the Divine Mother or Shirobindo in this life, and when I came, so people who had been here lived for you know. Decade, they would say, you know, when the mother was there, when she was. So I had to once say, sir, it pains. What pains? Was means what? It doesn't exist. No, I mean in the physical body. I said, but she is absolutely the same. You can connect. In fact, in a way, much better way, because you no more, you know, are only hooked on to the physical appearance. This is what mother said. You think I am this? She pinches the body. You think I am in this? At one time, she says, "I have left the body long, long back." Even Shurabindo speaks of it. I am very much on the other side. She speaks of this 1960s after the 62 experience, but that's a whole saga of, you know, discovering immortality for the body. And I don't want to get into this. A whip to lashes towards a deathless state. What does death do? It is like the competitor of life. Come, let's see, let's see, and man. Uh, we became oh, death is the victor. Already we have declared him the victor, so he becomes the victor. We should say no. We take the challenge. You see, that is the beauty of science. In certain sense, science takes the challenge and says we'll discover how the body can be immortal. If to this uh, tendency of the science who doesn't believe in the absoluteness of death, we can add the spiritual truth. You know, like the Russian gymnast when they did the gymnastics, mother said, "Oh, this is wonderful." But if only they could add in it the touch of spiritual consciousness, it would be really divine. So, if to this idea that yes, we can discover the secret of immortality even if the body, we can add this deep spiritual truth that yes, we are indeed immortal. All that we need to do is to fuse this immortal substance with the body, find a way and means, bridges, and then things will begin to change. And even before we do that, the soul grows through all these experiences till it becomes a wholly individualized. We are talking about individuality, individualized psychic being, where it can pick and choose the parents, pick and choose the place of birth. Why? Because it has taken these experiences and now develops a full-fledged psychic personality. It's not just a little tiny spark of soul. It has become a fire, and this fire consciously chooses. So just imagine, even within this, there is such a range. And how does it happen when we pass through the doors of death? 
So every time we meet a challenge, instead of immediately saying Maya illusion, let's go into some other world. I don't know why are we in haste to cut the knot of creation. Rather, we should say, let's make it better. Let's make it better. Lok Sangrahart. How does it matter? One life, two lives, hundred lives. The purpose is to make this world more beautiful, more divine, more true. And if you look at life like that, then it's wonderful. Every challenge is an opportunity. In fact, life without challenge would be, uh, you know, so dull and boring. Somebody said all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. So that we can put uh, reverse also. All comfort and no challenges make Jack and Jill and everybody else a very dull boy. Because everything is provided. So let's take the challenge of life. It is a whip to lash us towards a deathless state. It comes to remind us you are immortal. It doesn't come to tell us that you are mortal. It comes to tell us, bring out that immortal thing. That's why, because we are harassed by brief life. We want to immortalize a moment's work. The inconscient world is the spirit's self-made room. Eternal night, shadow of eternal day. So ultimately, death is nothing else but the shadow of the infinite light and why he has created this shadow so that within it the seeds of light he has put like in in the soil you put seeds of light and then the shadow holds it tightly after that it releases the light just like our earth why do we not just throw the seeds they will not grow they will burn away so when it is buried deep inside this soil and the soil should not be very soft nor very hard so first they take roots. So we have taken roots upon earth. And then slowly develops into a full-fledged tree. That is the purpose of life. So night is not our beginning nor our end. She is the dark mother in whose womb we have hid. Safe from too swift awaking to world pain. We came to her from a supernal light. By light we live. And to the light we go. So this is what we have to remember. That we are Amrita Siputra, Ananda Siputra. Remind ourselves every day that death does not exist. It is a temporary, it is transient. Let's reverse it. People say that death is the fact. We should say death is the transient mystery. But one day it will be conquered by life eternal and life immortal. Why? Because that within us, which is immortal, draws its breath from the eternal, the imperishable substance that comes from the Supreme Divine. And all this play, ultimately, will have to give way to this pressure of immortality from within. That's why over a period of time, we see that mankind has been fascinated with immortality. And there are countless stories, paucity of time. I'm not going into it from Sagar Mantan, which gives so many hints. Gilgamesh, you know, his tablet has been recently found, who was trying for immortality. To Prahlad's story, all these stories where we try to create immortality only by outer means, it doesn't succeed. The secret of immortality is within. But this secret is not only so that we discover it and feel very happy. This secret is that when we discover the nectar of immortality, we must let it flow into our thoughts, our feelings, our heart, our mind, our even our senses. Even the senses under the influence of the soul substance must automatically start tuning to higher things and not towards gravitate towards lower things. Sign of refinement is that. 
see people who are refined in their soul developed in their soul like refined music refined taste refined color whereas those who are still very dense very little soul development you can know it by the taste of the music they want to hear by the kind of conversation they love to engage in so this is how let this substance flow into our soul into our mind and life and body in breath and speech and act and eventually into the very body self and as we do it as this substance gets linked to what shirobindo has talked about the supramental substance why because supramental substance is infinite below it always there are some limits but this substance can respond to the touch of the infinite exactly as it should respond there is no diminution there is no diminishing right now as it is said the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak so many things that our spirit wants but the body doesn't respond but in the supramental world what the spirit sees that it creates there is no disparity so as this substance the the linking point is with the psychic being within us as this substance the psychic being becomes the bridge between the supramental world where matter there is supramental substance supramental matter which responds perfectly to the cry and the call and the pressure of the spirit as this substance starts getting more and more integrated into the very physical body very soon very soon even few hundred years is nothing look billion years out of man will grow a being for whom even the body will taste immortality there will be an immortal body with an immortal substance because it will be completely connected with the supramental consciousness whose nature is a perfect response to the call of the spirit that means that there will be no need to change also it will contain many things luminosity plasticity right now the form becomes rigid so it stops growing but it will become luminous plastic it will be automatically immune to diseases you won't need vaccines thank god it will be automatically immune why because this substance will have be conscious substance right now this substance is not conscious that's why all kinds of diseases can enter without our recognizing it we know it only when the doctor tells us or we have symptoms but the supramental substance is conscious it knows what is to be repelled automatically so this is the solution that shirobindo has not only proposed it is being worked out in creation and there are those who are already on the way toward this new creation where not only the soul's immortality is a very old story but the first step but who are also on the way of immortality of the very body i'll stop here and if there are questions i would like to take namaste Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Arav Pandeji, for uh, very beautifully discussing uh, about life, death, consciousness, past life, jivan mukti, and many more topics. Uh, now, we, I request all the participants to ask if there are any questions, or they can put it on the chat, and I can take their questions. Namaste, Lokda. Namaste, Namaste. You mentioned that once the body leaves, the soul leaves the body, the different parts of body get merged into the concern. domains or concerned regions like mind into mental domain and so on when the psychic takes birth again you know, psychic has its some memory of the past uh, through which it decides what kind of life to take and it works out in the new life yes now since mind has merged with the mental domain vital has merged 
with a vital domain or vital space, whatever it is called, how does one get yeah. the subconscious mind yeah. into the new body when the yeah. psyche takes birth? Because subconscious mind, as you know, is the memory of the past lives. Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, a very good question. And uh, it's, it's worth you know, spending a few minutes on this. So basically what happens is psychic is often described as the Hansa, the swan. So what does the swan does? It extracts milk from the water. As it is said, now I'm not discussing whether it is actually happens or not. But the point is that what does the psychic do? It takes away the essence of an experience. I can give an example that, uh, you know, when we are going through a difficult moment in life, let's take a common experience. Uh, say youngsters going through either a failure in examination or through a heartbreak. Now, during that moment, it is all terrible. What happens after 20 years? They laugh over it. When their child says, you know, Papa, I am going through a hard day. You know, it'll be okay. You'll be fine. Papa is so difficult, you know, failure. So what happens? The essence of the experience gets integrated with the psyche. The details are left behind. So the mental memory of the details which we carry right now, the mental memories are lost. But the essence is carried. Now, what happens with this essence? When in next life we come, let us take that we went through a challenge of failure. And we navigated through it very well. Even though we didn't succeed, but we took the challenge and faced it. So when next life we come, we don't have to take that challenge. Doors of success are open because that education is over. As Shurabindu says, even if the one maintains the full passage is fate is a transaction done at every moment between the soul and nature with God as the forcing arbiter. Even if the one maintains the unseen decree, he writes thy refusal in thy credit page. For doom is not a close, a mystic seal, arisen from the tragic crash of life. The spirit rises mightier with each defeat. It gods like wings grow wide with every fall. So you see a life which has been faced beautifully lived beautifully, taking the challenge. Doesn't matter whether we succeed or not. But we had taken the challenge. Then that gets integrated into the soul as a soul memory. So there are outer memories, which are, um, as you said uh, rightly about, you know, a lot, lot of details about the mind and uh, all that goes away. It's not needed anymore. But the essence, like a schooling, when we went through the school, we learned physics and chemistry and biology. What do we remember? I mean, most people would forget about it. But what it had done is it has led the mind and the brain to expand. So studies have helped the brain to form a complex synaptic connections. So same thing happens with a life's memories that the details are completely lost, but the essence is carried forward. And that's what comes handy in the next life, which is not, as I said, a system of reward and punishment, but an evolutionary progress. So it is like in one life, we went through kindergarten for a second. Next life, we come in class three. Or if we failed in class first, first time, every possibility is there. Then we come back to class one, but with a little grace mark. So we go to class two. So it is like that in the whole process. Some souls advance fast. Uh, some go slow. It's a question of choice. It's not like uh, it's bad or good. Nothing like that. Some like to go through one class several times. Some like to you know advance fast. It's a question of destiny. But the essence remains and that's what is carried forward. And the unfinished curves, as I said, there is an experience which we didn't. Uh, that's why suicide is um, so harmful. 
not only because we get projected into the dark uh, sunless worlds as the uh, isha upanishad put, puts it you know surya naam te loka because we are going in that state of depression and darkness. So we get projected into the dark world. But also because this person who commits suicide, he leaves something undone and unfinished. There was a challenge which he refuses to face. The challenge could be just a state of inner depression or it could be something outside. And because he has not faced the challenge, he comes back, nature gives it the same challenge, but under more difficult circumstances. Because that's the only way it will compress till finally something within emerges. So this is the process of rebirth where a challenge which is never negotiated, success and failure are human terms. Life was never meant for that. But the fact that one took the challenge and navigated through it, that's the only thing that will remain in memory. The rest all will be wiped away. And of course, some beautiful psychic moments. And uh, rebirth again, uh, mother describes that, you know, a person who has lived like a empress in previous life but realizes that being an empress is really a very difficult thing because you really can't do a lot of things that you want to do so you are born as an ordinary common folk so that's how it takes place the essence remains the details are lost and that's a grace and a blessing just imagine remembering in next life all the things of this life how difficult it is going to be <laughs> so it's a grace that death makes us forget most of these things mental sheath is dissolved with all the impressions on the mind they get dissolved but the psychic essence which was gathered through that that will remain but that is true bhaiya the my question is uh, how does one get the details in the subconscious because in the new birth in every birth we have some past habits you know, we are not able to uh, change our habits so easily yeah. and certain events from the past you know, keep troubling us at times. So essence, this is not essence, this is the detail of certain things. Well, this How is one of the theories of past life regression. I am not sure whether the habits and details, some things can come of an intense experience of life, it can come. Like, you know, if one has been guillotined or burnt, that can go and, you know, a fear of fire, it can remain. But I know the past life regression, uh, they say that, you know, certain habits of the past, which is very, very unlikely. Habits are very mechanical bonds created by physical nature. And whether they will really remain in the next life is a very, you know, we, we may presume it, but there is no real evidence to indicate it. So, in any case, one thing is for sure that if we discover the soul, we discover the past life. And we can discover the way, the essence of a past life. With that, we can connect certain tendencies. Perhaps, for instance, if one had um, in the past life a very warrior nature, where you know one could you know kill with impunity, it, it was part of a war and battlefield. Then something of that warrior nature can come. Now we can use the word; it's a habit and tendency. But this tendency has come to get refined and purified. That's how Shubhendu describes in Ilion that actually who is a warrior nature begins to change toward the end and he, he becomes a little compassionate. So if that habit has come into this life, we don't have to worry about its source. What we have to take it that in this life, whatever is there should be purified and refined. So it doesn't really matter. We don't have to go into where it came from. It is there right now. How I can purify it? How I can refine it? So that should be the focus. Focus is always toward the future. So it doesn't matter where it has come from. Whether it comes from the past or it's just a mechanical 
tendency because we have taken a human birth many things come from environment many things by heredity many things because of the physical constitution all this can happen it's not necessarily coming from a past life uh, I, i understand that you know some people explain that when we are born with certain tendencies it's because in the past we were like this it may or may not what comes from the past is a certain tendency for instance as i said warrior nature so it may manifest itself in in childhood as you know love for bow and arrow love to take fights and challenges but um, the actual details it's very unlikely it'll come like that yeah it can come as an attraction towards uh, like we used to do in in childhood in ancient time that you were shown uh, dawat and kalam or uh, a knife and dagger or money and you know children when they picked up it showed their tendency so to that extent a tendency can come but very unlikely that a habit will come back um, unless some part completely which has not been worked upon in unfinished curve of evolution that can come let's say somebody had a very lusty vital so it can um, it will it's not like that tendency has come from the subconscious mind the soul has not gone through that experience it is not taken that challenge it is an unfinished learning curve so when one takes a new body that unfinished learning that challenge will come again so it's not like it was there in the subconscious mind from where it has come it is a challenge it didn't take it refused to take the challenge or took the challenge and didn't succeed so in the next life one may have a vital uh, with this tendency till one has taken the challenge so ultimately the essence will be the same that uh, move towards conquest self mastery refinement with each life the process is is the same if we have not taken the challenge in one life will be more difficult if we have taken the challenge whatever effort we have put in will go into the sum total of effort but there is nothing like a subconscious mind coming and you know entering into the soul but what can happen with those who are extremely developed there but that applies to people like swami vekananda that they had a very developed mental sheath and a vital sheath so it may remain in that uh, realm for a long time it is not subject to dissolution and when they come back they may take elements of it from universal nature but that's not common for most of humanity all this gets dissolved average but uh, some can bring that together like bithoven's hands they became immortal so something like that uh, thank you so much dr alok pandey ji yeah. so we will take one last question by renuka so the question is when person takes next birth the psychic essence which is formed uh, becomes swabhava of person in the next birth so this is the question yes and this swabhava and i would add swadharma is along a hierarchical progression so that's why in the indian thought it was like you know shudratva when you know we are more uh, attached to physical world and the environment then one you know graduated into you know vaishya bhav where uh, one has finished this and goes on to the next level then there is the kshatriya bhav the swabhav and sudharma of a kshatriya and then there is the brahmanatva and then there is the spiritual consciousness so certainly depending on where we left we go on to the next so that's why the evolutionary hierarchy hierarchy was created that the beginnings of life start with this physical world after all who is a shudra from the physical world is real and not really the you know other realm but who is the vaishya where the vital has begun to take shape and it wants to expand into other things and in kshatriya this vital expands to a point where he loves conquest and victories and challenges and in the brahmin where the mind has become active and starts turning upward towards a greater truth so this is described very beautifully in 
Shobindo Savitri, Book One, Canto Four, The Secret Knowledge. Toward the end, please read it. It's marvelous. This is the sailor on the flow of time. So where it describes that we are like sailors, and in one life we initially want to be near the shore, then we go a little more further. But from one shore we pick up things and sell it on the other shore. Then we want to take the challenge. We travel wider into the sea. Then our eyes turn upwards towards the sky because we want to go beyond the limits of the sea. So this is how uh, the swabhava and swadharma, as rightly have said, that uh, begins to grow and evolve with each um, particular life. So like if Arjuna has to come again, he may not be. Uh, he may be more like a Buddha. I am just giving an example. So he will be a warrior, but warrior of another nature, where he will battle against the inner. Tendencies. Uh, this we see even in our outer life. Uh, initially, you know, gladiators. That was the way people used to have sports. Then it uh, has changed into, you know, then there was war. Now it has become changed into Olympics. War is replaced by Indo-Pak cricket match. Hopefully, that should be the <laughs> end of things. Then it turns within that we have the tendencies inside and to, uh, you know, wage war against it. So the tendency of a Kshatriya begins to change towards something. Higher and higher. This is just an example. Brahmanat first involved only with outer knowledge, then comes inner, then comes into the inmost and higher. So this is how the soul advances from life to life, from one swabhava and swadharma to another. Uh, once again, thank you so much, Dr. Alok Pandeji, for your time. Uh, it was an honor to have you. We will now begin with the panel discussion. Uh, I'd like to introduce our first panelist, Dr. Joyce uh, professor Joysenji is a is a professor and former head in the Department of Architecture and Re Regional Planning, Indian Institute of Technology, Kharagpur. He is currently the chairman Nehru Museum of Science and Technology and co-professor in charge Academy of Classical and Folk Arts, Kharagpur. His areas of research include community and regional planning and Indian cultural heritage documentation. He is currently associated with the two mega projects sponsored by MHRD Government of India, that is the Sandhi Science and Heritage Mega Initiative and also PI2 in the Future of Cities. He has been associated with Asia Pacific Network of Housing Research Hong Kong as associate member, reviewer of editorial board junior of architecture and with CSVTU Research General as associate editor. He has authored seven books on Indian heritage, iconographic documentation, and a textbook on sustainable planning in India by Terry, Indian Habitat Center, Delhi. He is a prime collaborator on projects with GSAAP EV League, Columbia University, New York City, USA, and MIT, Cambridge, and the mobilizer of narratives, in-situ activities, and outreach exploration on Indian knowledge systems at IIT Kharagpur. I welcome you to Professor Joyce Ng to the panel discussion. Uh, I would now like to introduce our second panelist, Dr. Vladimir Yatsenkoji. Dr. Vladimir Yatsenkoji is the director of research at the Institute of Applied Research in Integral Studies, La Grace, Shri Aurobindo Integral Life Center. Vladimir Ji holds a master's degree in general and theoretical linguistics and Sanskrit language and literature from St. Petersburg State University and a PhD in Indian philosophy from MS University of Baroda. His doctorate thesis was the Vedic vision and the concept of Agni in the Rig Veda in the light of Sri Aurobindo. Vladimir Ji 
is a scholar and instructor of sanskrit and sanskrit literature and an educator in vedic and vedantic studies he is aligned with various education institutions across the world including the indian philosophical psychology institute international center in integral studies oro university surat arogya center new mexico and many others i welcome you dr vladmir ji to the panel discussion now i would like to introduce our moderator for the evening professor mala kapadia ji professor mala kapadia ji is a director of wellness practice and resident mentor at rastram she has a masters and doctorate in psychology and literature she is a writer international speaker and executive coach integrating yoga and ayurveda she precisely served as adjunct professor of the spjn school of global management on the campuses of dubai singapore sydney and mumbai researcher in the area of holistic wellbeing and integrated intelligence for more than 30 years she is also the author of several books like hard skills emotional intelligence intelligence for work and life she has been a pioneer teacher of emotional intelligence to mba students in management institutions in asia a doctoral thesis on gujarati literature integrates knowledge of psychology analysis creating an integrative approach consultant of different multinational organizations advises with the model of sustainability of performance and holistic leadership her knowledge about well being ayurveda yoga leadership and emotional intelligence makes her a unique advisor for our open training programs i welcome you professor mala kapadia ji to take over the panel discussion धन्यवाद सत्यजीत एंड स्वागतम वाल्मीर एंड प्रोफेसर जॉयदा आई वुड नॉट कॉल यू डॉक्टर जॉयस एंड आई कॉल यू जॉयदा एंड नमस्कार संपत जी आलोक जी इट हैज बीन अ वंडरफुल इवनिंग टिल नाउ लिसनिंग टू आलोक जी ऑन डेथ डाइंग एंड बियॉन्ड ही इंटीग्रेटेड श्री अरबिंदो सावित्री दी मदर्स परस्पेक्टिव and also his own knowledge of uh, neuroscience and what really the body and uh, life and death is all about the mother has spoken extensively about death the reason for death and its relationship to what we term life and to other states of consciousness was central to her explorations in transforming the body through her extraordinary experiences she not only provided glimpses of a new state of being she also radically redefined the meaning of life death and immortality the farewell the center for farewell at oroville uh, when i was reading about it 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 actually makes one understand what the mother had in mind when she she talked so much about death and why she gave so much importance to death it's wonderful when you read uh, and you can actually though i've never physically met her but you actually can listen and and feel her presence in front of you when you read her words death is not the opposite of life at the moment i understood and i never forgot death is not the opposite of life it is not the opposite of life it's a sort of change in the cells functioning or in their organization 
Mother's Agenda, 16.3.63. I have reached the conclusion that there is really no such thing as death. There is only an appearance and an appearance based on a limited outlook. But there is, but there are, there is no radical change in the vibration of consciousness. So maybe I would love to begin this panel discussion by sharing the mother's thoughts on death and death as transformation. Uh, Waldemir, what are your thoughts on how mother calls it just a radical change in the vibration of consciousness? Maybe yeah. five to seven minutes and then maybe yes. some choices so we'll have more discussions. Well, in the mother's agenda, we have uh, the whole description. The whole mother agenda is about mother trying to figure out this riddle of death. And there are many interesting uh, discussions and dialogues with Satprem about this topic. And as you rightly said, in other place, she says that the death is just the transition from one room to another. You just go like you leave this room and you go to another. And that transition is needed. Yeah. Needed um, because uh, evolutionary it is um, required. We are not yet in the body of that kind which would be flexible and plastic enough to respond to the spirit. So we inherited this body from the past, from our evolutionary past of the, you know, of the animal nature. We look at us, we are still half animal, as Shibindu says, half god, half beast, you know. We, we got everything what we could from the evolutionary past, and now we are trying to evolve this body becomes more and more flexible, more and more responsive to the spiritual forms of consciousness through our faculties, seeing, hearing, speaking, thinking, feeling. We are constantly evolving, growing in the spirit. The psychic being, the soul, is here working with these bodies within. It's the whole beautiful picture of evolution of consciousness. And of course, as Shubindo says, we are a tra transitional. Man is a transitional being. It's not yet a, the being which arrived at its utmost. We are on the way to evolve to something which we are meant to be. So, as beautifully also Shubindo says in Savage, even the Lord of Death, disputes this with savagery and savagery there is the whole debate of love and death and the whole canto so beautifully describing and uh, so the lord of death tells her but how would you even suppose to think in this way that to you this body this formation would be immortal and would have kind of tea with the divine here kind of you will be equal to the divine he, he cannot imagine, you know, that uh, the, we would evolve to that extent. And she says, yes, you are right, but uh, do you think uh, that uh, if man is now a child, that he would never grow? Is it 
meant that for, by you <laughs> that we have to be constantly children only so there is this the 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 aspect of evolution which Robindo and the mother bring into this philosophy which changes everything and this transitional view on us on our development and evolution of consciousness is actually the answer to the riddle of death death is working still because it has its place otherwise it would not be here yeah so and it it does its work uh, at the end when the mother and death meet together and this is so beautiful in shirobindo savitri it's a bit different than it is in a mahabharata story in mahabharata story she convinces yama she gives him a very beautiful speeches about dharma and he is so thrilled that he gives her gifts one by one but in Sri Aurobindo Savitri, he refuses at the end to give her the uh, gifts and um, he wants to fight. He says, okay, I see that, uh, that you have the knowledge, yes, but do you have the power? You know, knowledge is okay. It's not by knowledge that this world is made, but by power. Do you have the power? And then she reveals that light, and his body was devoured, eaten by light. And, uh, and then still at the end, Shirobindo does very interesting. He says, uh, she leaves him still, and uh, she says, live still, death. Do still thy work. There is something else to be done. So it's a worker of some kind who is helping us to cleanse, to clear the path. And the whole word Mrityu, you know, Mara, from root Mri, and there are kindred roots like Mrij, to cleanse. It's a cleansing device. It is something which is removing the part of our form which is not supposed to endure in time. And supposed to change it has to fall away from our path otherwise we would be you know suffocating in that form which is not developing uh, so it is a, a totally different view on death of course and mother and shirobindo unlocked for us this riddle and now we could uh, finally see the meaning in it thank you thank you thank you so much and it's so beautiful that we are able to understand life as life divine, life beautiful in a much better way when we start understanding death. So death doesn't remain a negative construct. In fact, it helps us maybe live life better because at another place, mother also speaks of gradation of death. And where she says that there are people who are dead while being alive. And there are also many people who are alive after death. And for those who know that this material form can manifest a supramental light, well, those who don't have the supramental light in them are already a little dead. So, Joyda, would you like to? Share your thoughts. Yeah, I was absolutely mesmerized. First pranam to all of you. And I was absolutely mesmerized by 
of Vladimir's, you know, it was almost like poetry, the way he was speaking, you know, right. it's, uh, you know, which takes us beyond life, beyond death, you know. You know, that's the whole feeling which uh, makes us deathless and it takes us from life to a much higher life. You know? So it's a feeling. I'll take it this way and uh, uh, under the ambit of the universal, you know, the, the great supreme philosophy of Sri Aurobindo and the mother. I mean, they come as the two living epitomes of a modern India and reflecting within a mirror the whole of uh, the Sapta Rishis, as Sri Aurobindo says, the seven Rishis of the Angirashas, Angiras, the Angirashas. So what is this Angirasha? Anga is the body, the body. And in the body, from the body, within the body, there is the Rasha, which is the vital, the prana, the vital, the, the pranamai kosha. So that is, that is the whole journey. And prana is Agni. So... So the body, which is the which is the wood, the wood of the tree, has the fire within it, and when the fire comes out of the wood, the fire burns the body itself. That is the secret of creation, you know. That is the secret of Angirasha. and it uh, when the fire burns, uh, the heat goes up and it brings down the rain clouds, the soma, you know, the nectar, the divine, the divine nectars of immortality. So this entire world is like a cycle of Agni and Soma, you know, which is, uh, and Agni gets condensed and uh, it becomes a Surya, you know. And then Sri Aurobindo says there's a Surya, which is in the morning, which is Gayatri. And there is a Surya, which is in the noon, which is Savitri. And there's a Surya, which is in the dusk, which is Sandhya. What are these images? You know, what are these images? We'll come to that a little later. But as... Uh, Vladimir wonderfully said, you know, the riddle of death, the riddle of death is actually to go beyond death. There's a wonderful saying by Tagore, Rabindranath, Gurudev Rabindranath. He says, Marana tuhu samu saman, you know, Marana, which is death. I mean, you're, you're my Krishna. Krishna is eternal death. You know? It's dark consciousness. It's like the black hole of the universe. Everything is absorbed within it. The, all the universes are dissolving, getting dissolved, it's dying, it's going beyond. But then Tagore says, I mean, he, he writes wonderful songs. So, I mean, the vibrations of Sri Aurobindo are in the poetries of Tagore. You know, there's a song, I won't say that in Bengali right now, but it goes like this, Ache Dukho Ache Mritu, which says, there is, a, there is a lot of sorrow and there is a lot of death. But shanti, But still there is peace. Still there is a lot of bliss. Why? Why is it so? Because when you see the flowers which are dying in a garden and they're all falling down, they're replaced by the new flowers. You know, when, the, when the waves in the sea are collapsing, the old waves, you know, this is quantum physics. You know, uh, Schrodinger and Heisenberg talks about the and the sea, the wave, the wave mechanics, you know, which is, I mean, physics and metaphysics, you know, whether you look at it physically or metaphysically. So the, the old waves of the seas are also collapsing, but the old flowers, the old waves are replaced by the new flowers. You know, Tagore says, Torongo jai, Torongo othe. This is in Bengali, which means the old waves are collapsing, but the new waves are surging from the ocean, from the backdrop the transcendental wave of consciousness. But the transcendental wave of consciousness is not complete by itself. You know, that's supramental. 
It's complete by surging the waves again and again. So the complete picture is a transcendental backdrop plus the waves which is coming up. So one wave may collapse. If I am a wave, I collapse. But there are other waves in the sea which are surging. And there are waves of the future, waves 5,000 years later, waves 5 million years later. So there is not a moment in the universe when the universe is dying. No, that takes us to multiple universes. Uh, one Brahman may be collapsing in a black hole, but the, in the stellar nursery, another Brahman is surging. Another. So when you look at the universe, it is absolutely a fantastic basket of deathlessness through the celebration of death. So the celebration of death is to transcend death and go to the deathless. So death has been posed, as uh, Dr. Pandey was wonderfully saying before us. So the death has different definitions for at different levels. You know, I mean, I am introduced to mathematics. Uh, I'll keep it small because we'll have many rounds of discussion. Yes. So I'm, I, I get the numbers in class one, two, three, and my teacher teaches me. But in about class four and five, I play with those numbers. I say two, two, two plus four is equal to six. And then in class eight and nine, I put an X into it. I put a Y into it. I form calculus and equation. And then I cross the school level. And then I solve differential calculus and integral calculus. And that is essentially, I differentiate the numbers into blocks. And I see the depth of a number. Four is replaced by five. You know, four plus one. So that means four is just transformed into five. The depth of four is actually the birth of five. You just add one to it. So I get into the differential, the, you know, the integral layers of numbers. This is the beauty of uh, Indian number systems, which was discovered by the Indian rishis. And Laplace, the great French mathematician, says what, what we are discovering today in the 16th and the 17th century was discovered by the Indian rishis thousands and thousands and thousands of years back. Because numbers are just not absolute. The absolute truth is not the complete truth. But numbers are also by position, by power, which Vladimir was saying. So it is just not Satchit, but it's also Chidananda. So the bliss. And there is also the Sri, which is the beauty. So when Satchit penetrates with Chidananda, the Sri, the Sri is from the beauty of the universe. And what is the beauty of the universe? The beauty of the universe is that Tagore says in the words of Sri Aurobindo, Kushumo Jhuriya Pare Kushuma Forte. Kushum means flower. Kusum. In Latin, it has become cosm. And that's why we have the words microcosm and macrocosm, you know, which is the flower of the small and the flower of the large. You know, the ancient Greeks say there is a recursion. There's a correspondence between uh, what is happening inside my body and what is happening in the whole universe. The entire universe is reflected within the body and the body reflects. So if the body dies, uh, the I mean nothing nothing happens in a, I mean the individual prana the vital the angirasa just melts into the entire ether. The difference, as Dr. Alok Pandey was saying, the difference is that for the ordinary human being, it is called the second death. You know, it's there in the Bible. I mean, we die. You know, we just die in that last moment. But for yogis, he's dying every day because he's taking out the prana at every asana, and he's going beyond the body, he's getting into astral travels and he's coming back to the body. You know, St. Paul, there's a, there's a word in the Bible where St. Paul says, I die every day. 
and uh, and Paravansa Yogananda mentions that in his Science of Religion. He says, look at this sentence, which means Saint Paul was a yogi. So that means in the beginning of Christianity, yoga was there, which was not pursued later in Christianity. So Christ was also yogi. But that's a separate discussion. So this entire journey, uh, the fear of death, you know, imaginary fear of death is actually to transcend. I'll come to the Isha Upanishad later. I mean, as sure. the discussion proceeds, is actually the celebration of immortality. You know, so maratu, which is mrittu, is moratu, which is mortal, mortal. You know, so the words also come from the same word. And amaratu, which is amritya, is also immoratu, which is immortality. You know? so, so which means the civilizations were connected with these concepts, but through ages we have been disconnected. And now a time has come again where uh, the US and the Greece is again connected with India and other things. So... And that's a celebration of death. Wonderful. Wonderful, Joyda. Thank you so much for your thoughts on this. And your this uh, the the line of Tagore, Maranahe Tuma Mashyama Saman. That reminds me of one of my articles I wrote exactly 20 years ago. Because 20, 2001 was a year when we had three deaths in my family. And uh, everyone was wondering that, oh, I should have been shattered and broken and crying. And and fortunately for me, I've had people, especially my own mother, who was also a devotee, uh, prepare me for her departure, saying that it's a utsav, it's a mahotsav. You need to celebrate. And, And that's where I realized that the mother has also written a lot on how do you prepare for dying? Because Absolutely. we all know theoretically or, you know, yeah, yeah. cognitively we say, Jata hi or we all know the story of Yudhishthir and Yaksha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, however, we, we none of us are actually trained into this. None Absolutely. of us actually get a train. Uh, how to, one, be prepared for this transition into dying of people in our family, in our uh, community, in our uh, loved ones, or our own departure. So, Valdemir, would you want to, uh, you know, share your insights on this? How do we prepare for dying? That's quite a question, yes. Uh, well, uh, it's quite interesting that we are meeting on 21st of December, notice, the winter solstice. Uh, it's exactly the deepest night. Now, this is the transition from death to life, actually. So, notice, it's quite interesting. We are going down with the sun, and then we are going up with the sun. So, we are going up and down constantly. We are never going down only. You know? We are always rising from the deepest diving. And uh, it is very similar in integral yoga when it is described by the mother and Sri Aurobindo that the higher you rise, the deeper you dive. There. So we, the, our journey is not linear and not only up, up, up. It is up and down, deeper. The higher uh, up, the deeper down. Why? There is a reason for it, and uh, we have to take everything which is unregenerated, everything which is 
to be brought into light within this universe. We are here, these workers of the divine, as it were. We came here to uh, redeem the fallen self, as it were, in the first creation. And so this redemption is taken by us onto our bodies, onto our lives. We are here constantly transforming with a with our effort, with our spiritual effort, this unregenerated fallen being, as it were, which we also represent. We represent both. We represent something totally conscious within us and totally unconscious without us. So, and all the grades of this consciousness within us, from within to without. So, this was seen as the sacrifice in the Veda. We take on to ourselves anything which is to be offered to the higher consciousness and offer it. Our purpose is constantly to offer, only to offer to the higher consciousness. And it should take it and transform it. And this is the journey what we are here to, to do. Yeah. Uh, how to prepare for death? It's quite a question. I'm, you see, I'm not even answering it. <laughs> I'm kind of, but what is interesting, uh, and that was the question of someone here to Alok uh, about um, how come that we may come to the same formation in the next life, that in, from subconscious it will come back to us. And uh, I, what came to me is that when the, the soul is dying, we have this vision of our life. Like uh, in, uh, in one moment, we see all the, all the most essential elements of our life. And uh, it's like running like a film in front of our eyes. Many people speak about this, yeah? those who survived, uh, for example. Some people who fell from the height, when they fall, they see the whole life. Why do we see the whole life in the essence? Because we make a decision at the end of our life what we will do next. We must make a decision. And this is the link, actually, to what you are asking, the very difficult question, how to prepare. Even if you don't prepare, <laughs> your soul will do the, the choice. Yeah? So our mind may know very little about it or very much about it, but it, it is kind of useless in a way. If we didn't live the whole life with this dedication, with this sacrifice, with awareness that we are offering all our selves to the higher consciousness. If we didn't live that life, if we didn't establish the habit, it would be very difficult at the end of our life to really even remember <laughs> where we are going or something. Shiobindo makes uh, fun about it. He jokes about it. All his life he lived, you know, sinful life, and at the end he confessed, and now he is free to go. <laughs> it will not happen that way. Because the habit, the habit of living, the mind vital, is pulling us back. It doesn't leave us, doesn't give us a choice to be free. It's not so easy to become free at the end. It has to become habitual for the mind and the vital to constantly seek higher 
formation. And um, that's why it's important to live life in accordance with this uh, ideal. And at the end, there will be something, which I do not know what, but uh, there will be a right choice made by our soul to experience to experience next in the next life something we need for our development and uh, some people think that you will be born uh, always better and better if you were born a king you will be born a greater king it's not like that mother says yeah you may be born a shoemaker you were a king and now in the next life you will be a shoemaker why because you need that experience for your soul development you need that particular experience which you are looking for to fulfill something in yourself, some more holistic being which could live this holistic life, total, infinite life, as uh, Alok was mentioning. We want infinity. We want to be everything. And so we collect all these bits and pieces over our uh, lifetimes. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I think this is where our own paradox is, right? And I think Alokji also briefly mentioned that paradox. Because at one level, we all want infinity and immortality. And at another level, we are so enclosed and encased in our own ego and identity that we don't want to break open. And unless we break open, how do you become one with the infinite? Or how do you go beyond my this, who I am, Malakapadi at the moment? And what will I do with Malakapadi becoming immortal, right? So it's, it's not this physical self or the name and identity, all the habits that I've gathered that I want it to become immortal, right? So there is a constant inner struggle uh, and, uh, and I would love to share the quotation very beautifully that I could find on something uh, that the mother had written on how do you prepare for dying. And she has written that this suggestion of death comes from the ego when it feels that soon it will have to abdicate. Keep quiet and fearless. Everything will be all right. Death is not all what you believe it to be. You expect from death the neutral quietness of an unconscious rest. But to obtain that rest, you must prepare for it. When you die, you lose not only your body and at the same time the possibilities of relation with an action on the material world. But all that belongs to the vital world does not disappear with the material substance. All your desires, attachments, cravings persist with the sense of frustration and disappointment. And all that prevents you from finding the expected peace. To enjoy a peaceful and eventless death, you must prepare for it. And the only effective repression is the abolition of all desires. If you wish to escape from death, you must not bind yourself to anything perishable. And I felt this was so beautiful. Ultimately, you, you know, what you explained somewhere fits with the essence of what she is 
shared here. Joyda, you were, uh, would you like to add something from Ishobnisha that you, you know, started with? Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, we are just, uh, I think I, I was listening to Vladimir and uh, the, the first part of his speech, you know, the second phase, you know, and he was talking about the rise and fall, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's like, it's absolutely, you know, which was, uh, I was trying to explain also the rise of the new waves as against the old waves. So it's not a question of the death of one wave or the rise or the, or the birth of a new wave. What is the mystery? The mystery is the old wave, which is dying and uh, it's submerging, becomes the water, which is the sea, the ocean itself. And what is that new wave, which is again rising with new hope, like a newborn child or a newborn flower. It is that same water of the ocean which is coming up. The only difference is uh, why we uh, are uh, imagining fear, why we become restless, why we cannot prepare ourselves for death, because we are not connected with the backdrop or the sea, the eternal sea. We think we are, you know, that's what Swami Vivekananda spoke at Chicago, the second speech, you know, we are the frog in the well, but we cannot come out of that well and become the frog of the sea, you know. You know, Swamiji gave a, you know, just a three-minute speech uh, after his brilliant first speech, you know. So India's gates were opened and then Sri Aurobindo came after Swamiji, you know, to open the gates further. Now, in that second speech was just three minutes or I think it was two and a half minutes. I mean, why we disagree? And, he, and Sri Aurobindo gives a beautiful, I think one of the best definitions that's available, that's available in the gospel of truth. Somebody asked Sri Aurobindo towards the end before he left his body. You know, that's what we say in India. We don't die. We leave the body. And nobody dies. And yogi, a maha-yogi, or a maha-maha-yogi shell like Sri Aurobindo. I mean, there's no question of death. You know, I mean, just leaves the body. So somebody asked him, what is the definition of spirituality? And Sri Aurobindo was very quiet towards uh, the last few years. He hardly used to speak. Vladimir knows more about the details and everything. But he just opened up and spoke once after the question was asked three or four times. Sri Aurobindo said, and this is so important. And he said, spirituality is the destruction of the individual personality. And it is a, and it is a construction instead within the cosmic personality. So the same personality destroys himself or herself as an individual. Because if you're an individual, you have the concept of mortality, you know, because I die, I am born again, you know. But the moment you're interconnected, you know, today interconnection is so well proved by computer science and information technology. You know, suppose you're working in front of a computer. I mean, I'm working in a lab and my computer collapses, you know, there is a virus. And my computer collapses. But, bit, but if I am a lab boy, if I'm a part of a group, if I'm a part of a collective group of people working in a lab, I leave my computer and I take another, another machine which becomes my computer. Because there is, a, there is a LAN, which is a local area network, which is just not, not my computer. You know, today, by virtue of science, you can explain these abstruse concepts. So that means I am dead 
by virtue of my first computer and I open up my second laptop, I'm not dead there because the network, the WWW, the World Wide Web is open. So I open up my second laptop, I'm alive there. And then my friend says, come, 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 come to my computer. This is a slightly bigger screen and you can see uh, Maladi and Vladimir better. <laughs> so I go to the third computer. So I'm, I'm not dead with my single computer. I am in the lab. I'm interconnected. So the concept of immortality is interconnected consciousness. So a simple example of a lab consciousness, a computer man who can open up different terminals at the same point, who can open up different uh, you know, things at the same point. You know, the, like the way you become a lab man, in the same way you prepare your individual life so that you're connected with other souls, other niches, other ecosystems, you know, other avenues of life. And you go beyond, as, as Alokji was saying, after the Vaishya, the Kshatriya, he goes out and becomes sovereign. He wins. And then he loves his own people. He becomes a sovereign king, you know, a Raj Chakrabarti. And then he becomes a Brahmin. He finds something more deeper. So what is happening? So these four levels are nothing else but I'm just coming from my Shudra single computer and I'm getting to the second computer. So I'm transacting between two computers with a local area network. I become a Vaishya. And then I become the I become the in charge of the lab. I become a Kshatriya. You know, I become the in charge, the king of the lab. And one day I give the responsibility of the lab to another boy and I become the in charge of the whole building, you know, which has hundreds and thousands of labs. How hundreds and thousands of interconnections, Matrix, you know, that movie, or James Cameron's Avatar, you know, I mean, interconnectedness in the planet, you know, planet. So I, I become a Brahmin and then I become even beyond that. I, I go beyond my Brahminical consciousness. I become Parabrahman, you know, Guru Deva Parabrahman. I go to that uh, supreme consciousness. So just see with this very ordinary examples, which we think material, computer science, we can explain the highest concepts that were preached by the rishis today. They're so simple. The only thing is if we have the mind and the intent to understand them, then they're open for you. So the frog of the well suddenly becomes the frog of the sea. That is Swamiji's second lecture at Chicago. And why we disagree? Because we don't want to come out from the well. The moment you come out of the well, you become the frog of the sea. So that is essentially the Mandukya Upanishad. You know, just seeing that Mandukya Upanishad, there's no frog mentioned. In that whole Upanishad, you'll never see the word Mandukya, which is a frog. But the entire Upanishad is talking about the transition from the Annamaya Kosha, from the body consciousness, yeah. and then transcending the Vigyanmaya Kosha, going to the Anandamaya, and then going to the Ananda Sharup. You know, going even beyond the Anandamaya and going to the Ananda Sharup. And then from the Ananda Sharup, thousands of waves coming up from that ocean. He finally settles with a few waves and goes deep into the... And then he finds the power of the sea, which is the Chit Shakti, you know, which is Chidanandamai. And then he discovers that it is that one ocean. He discovers that one pervading truth. I mean, uh, I think I'll end there. I'll take up the Isha Upanishad right after this in the, in the, okay. third, in the third discussion. <laughs> And then he becomes, uh, he, then he realizes the religion of the sea. You know? So from the religion of the well, Kupa Mundukam, he moves on to the, the religion of the sea, the Samudra Mundukam, which is, which is a whole intent of 
the journey. We open ourselves. Yeah, thank you. Dhanyavad, dhanyavad, Joyda. And this actually reminds me, uh, uh, you know, that I would love to listen to uh, Valdemar's, uh, you know, his thoughts on the five myths of immortality in Indian tradition. Uh, and also, you know, why uh, Sri Arvindu chose Savitri, the myth of Savitri, you know, why would he, why did he choose that? Because we've been talking from Alokji till now, we have been referring and going back and forth from Savitri. Yes, I was uh, planning that uh, to speak on these five myths and so on, because I was thinking, what should I say about uh, death and beyond death? And wanted to connect uh, Indian tradition that it was always preoccupied with these fundamental questions of what is life? Yeah, what is really life? And uh, we have beautiful myths, uh, and we know some of them, Samudra Manthana, and we know the Nachiketas in Katha Upanishad, we know Markandeya Rishi, who was given the gift of immortality from Shiva, and uh, we know Shunakshepa myth, which is from the Rigveda and Aitareya Brahmana, which is profound again, not well known so much, but uh, in Indian, of course, setting it is known, but to a certain extent as a story. But all of them are in Savitri. Savitri is a profound myth, yeah, which Sri Aurobindo picked up for his narration for the narration of his journey which is i was always thinking why savitri he picked up and um, and there is a reason and he gives that description at the beginning why he chose this myth uh, because he believed that it was this myth of the symbolic cycle of the vedic cycle of myths yeah? And if uh, you remember in Mahabharata, it was Markandeya Rishi who spoke about Savitri. It is Markandeya Rishi narrated the story of Savitri to Yudhishthira. And Yudhishthira asked, was there someone who suffered like Draupadi or even more than Draupadi in this world? And then Markandeya said, yes, there was one. It was Savitri. <laughs> So, and he starts his narration and he says that Savitri is a very ancient story. You can imagine if uh, it is ancient for Markandeya, who received uh, his boon of immortality in the first Manvantara of this Kalpa uh, from Shiva, and over these all Manvantaras, he is the immortal being. 16 years old Rishi, <laughs> always young, ever young Rishi. <laughs> It's a beautiful image. And he tells us the story of ancient story of Savitri. And then, uh, and that became really clear why Sri Aurobindo chose this story. What is interesting, what I wanted to mention when I was planning to talk was about Yama. Because in, um, in uh, the Mahabharata, we have Yama as the Lord of Death, he comes, yes, and he fetches the soul of Satyavan and he goes away and Savitri follows him and talks to him and convinces him at the end, actually, wins back Satyavan, yeah? which is unheard of in any epic literature because 
everywhere, as you remember, just look at every story. Once the prediction is made, it has to be fulfilled. We can see how it is being fulfilled. It's never broken. So Narad comes and tells that Satyavan must die and nothing you can do about it. That must be so. And what a surprise was there that at the end, he is not dying. <laughs> she wins him back. It's absolutely unnatural for any epic story. I'm, I'm telling you that it belongs to really to some amazing kind of past, a very remote past, ancient, archaic past, of which we have no idea. So most probably that is why Shriobindo took the story, because with her will, Savitri could conquer death and take back life of Satyavan. And according to Shriobindo, Satyavan is the soul of humanity, and the uh, Savitri is the Divine Mother who came here as the, the word, the, the word of the Surya, of the sun, Savitar. She is the daughter of Savitar. Yeah. She comes to save. And when they debate with, uh, with the Lord of Death, in Savitri Shirobindo, in his Savitri, he never calls the Lord of Death Yama. He gives all the names, Savitri, Satyavan, Dhyumatsen, Ashvapati, every name except Yama. And this is a puzzle. Yeah? Why not Yama? And, um, and so I wanted to, to kind of clarify this. Maybe for many people it will be a surprise. But according to Sri Aurobindo, Yama it belongs to, it's the lord of the, he, it's the child of Vivasvat. He is Vaivasvata. Yeah? And Yama and Yami in the Rigveda, these two uh, brother and sister twins, yeah? they are Vaivasvata and Vaivasvati. They are both children of the sun, of Vivasvat. Vivasvat is the lord of the sun, who is involved actually into this manifestation. It's another topic. He is the Martanda. He is the one who was drawn into the darkness to start the whole manifestation. It's another myth. But what is interesting about Yama and Yami that they are both here not as death. They are rather Yama was first who was who died and who found the way back to this psychic world, as it were. So he is the uh, the representative of the Lord of the Sun. He is here not the killer of the body. He is the savior of the soul. So when Yama comes, he is here to accompany the soul to the psychic world. He is not here to destroy the body. And we kind of mistakenly take it as if he is here coming to kill us. No, he is here coming to save us. <laughs> Why do we need saving? We need saving because that transition, as uh, Alok was mentioning, is very dangerous through the vital worlds. Mm -hmm. It's like the field we have to cross with many dangers. So the soul is to be accompanied to the other world to find its way because this infinite universe, you can be lost somewhere. So it needs to know the way where to go, where to rest, where to, again, to make a plan for new incarnation and to come back. 
Now, what is interesting, so the Yama sends usually the uh, the uh, Saramea dogs. Saramea dogs, these dogs with, you know, looking everywhere. And these two dogs are leading the soul. They are protecting the soul from the attacks of the vital world to to the to the psychic world to rest. And in this case, Yama himself comes and Savitri asks, why did you come? You usually send some messengers to to fetch the soul. He says, no, Satyavan is too dear for me. I can't entrust this work to anyone, so I come myself <laughs> to take him. Now, this is something to think of. Who is this Lord of Death? Yeah? And uh, if it is not Yama, yeah? So what is this dying about? And Shirobindo doesn't give him any, any specific kind of formation. And it's quite interesting in Savitri, when he is conquered already by Savitri, that voice which spoke to Savitri continues to speak, but already as the Lord, as the voice of the highest Lord. This is something very weird about Savitri, I must tell. So, Yama and Yami, these, this is what I was planning to talk, uh, but uh, due to the constraints of time, maybe I will not go too much into it, but just mentioning that they are both on both shores. Yama is in that world, taking soul to that world, and when the soul is ready to engage, Mother describes this very beautifully. The soul sees the, 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 you know, the light. The light is giving like blinking or uh, giving us the, uh, the signal where the plan of the soul can be fulfilled, where to plunge. So there are choices for the soul to go. And I was thinking, who is giving this light from another side, from the side of earth? <laughs> who is giving this sign? for the soul to come. And then I thought it was Yami who was left on earth. It is another twin who is doing the work, who is accompanying the soul back to the embodied state. And from here, Yama takes her back to that state where it can rest. This is a beautiful vision of the Veda, which is totally misunderstood and... Uh, misinterpreted by Western scholars and then Indian scholarship. But I wanted this for us to see how beautifully it was uh, depicted in the, in the Rig Veda. Yeah. Thank Wonderful. you. Such a, such a profound wisdom that you have shared. You know, we would have really missed this uh, if you had not uh, shared with me earlier uh, that you would like to share these insights. And it's so profound and, uh, you know, it's just next week that Sampaji and me, we are doing a program together, Supraja, uh, which is on conscious parenting and birthing. Uh, and now I understand it's, it's the Yami, which is going to be helping us deliver this program, right? Because how do you attract the right souls uh, back on the planet? So it, it's so beautifully all the dots are like getting connected. So, Joyda, now maybe Ishavasyam or Ishokanisha. Yeah, yeah. yeah, actually, Vladivir has given us a ticket exactly. to enter the double ladder, you know, the two way ladder, the two way yes. ladder. 
And as Sri Aurobindo says, uh, I mean, it's not beautiful. It's much more than beauty. It's a divine explosion. The last paragraph, it's a small book, The Mother. I mean, there's a big book and from where a small book is made. I mean, he says uh, the Satchidananda right up there and the, and the disciple right down here. The disciple thinks by virtue of all his or her tapasya, he, he or she will be able to climb bit by bit, bit by bit, bit by bit. And one day in some life, he or she will be able to reach that highest plane. And even the sages in the highest level think that, that the grace of Satchidananda will, uh, you know, bless the, you know, the, the disciple or the aspirant. That's the right word, an aspiration, aspriha, aspriha. One of the most important word uh, given to the universe, to, to the humanity by Sri Aurobindo, aspriha, the aspiration. And Sri Aurobindo gives the mystery, you know, he, op he unlocks like Sri Ramakrishna. I mean, after Sri Ramakrishna, it is Sri Aurobindo. I mean, Sri Ramakrishna does that in a, in a very simple language. And Sri Aurobindo converts that into a PhD thesis which is life divine, which is, and Dr. Horidash Choudhury takes that to the United States, you know, and that's, that's a different story. That creates Maslow and others, you know, you know that's everything, the hierarchy of mind. And Sri Aurobindo says, between the two, you know, the fire of aspiration from below and the grace which shall come from above, there's only one which can bridge the two ends. That's the gift, the grace, the blessings of the divine mother. The paratpara chit shakti. The mother alone can bridge the two ends. And this is where, as Vladimir was saying, most of the interpretation of spirituality, I mean, we can call it Indian spirituality because in India, there was a primacy. It, was, it has been practiced maximum compared to other countries in the world. But spirituality is spirituality. It belongs to whole humanity. There's only mother alone who can bridge the two ends. And this clue is provided by Isha Upanishad. It's provided by Isha Upanishad. This, I mean, the whole foundation of Isha Upanishad is based on this two-way ladder, the juxtaposition, which Vladimir was beautifully saying, the Yama and the Yami. And Yama and Yami is expanded in the two uh, separated verses and then the two conjoined verses. And uh, Isha Upanishad, Presence that's beautiful, you know, it's written by uh, a group of sages who represents even an archaic age of sages. And, uh, and it's it's actually the sage of sages, the Param Rishis, the Param Rishis, you know, Sapta Rishis, and, and one lineage of the Param Rishis is Bhrigu, Bhargavi, and sage Markandya is from that lineage. I don't want to get into all that because that takes into a certain lineage. So the Isha Upanishad says that. If somebody finds nothing good in this world, I mean, I mean, this world is absolutely false. It's Maya, you know, it's transient. Everything is temporary. And he just thinks there is something else beyond this world and finds no utility with this world. He enters into a much larger darkness. And there's another group of people who thinks that beyond this world, there's nothing. In this world, and there's fun and frolic, and you find all the utility, and there's nothing else to go. You just enjoy. And they enjoy another kind of darkness, which is lesser darkness. So, I mean, look at the beauty of it. 
the people who enjoy this world and deny the other world they enjoy lesser darkness and the people who defy this world and thinks about a world beyond brahma shakta jagat mitya they enjoy a deeper darkness so deeper darkness is reserved for them and that comes from the separation of the two uh, foundation blocks of creation which is vidya and avidya and avidya and avidya vidya and avidya if it's not properly handled then it becomes papunya or good and evil you know so the lower portions of uh, indian religion including hinduism buddhism and all the semitic religions has been entrapped by this dialectics of a good god against an evil satan so you don't have a concept of a supreme cap on the top so there is a conflict but then the issue upanishad gives a mystery you know that's i mean here it's it's a, it's a double mystery you know i mean and i cannot explain it because i am not an authority but i'll try to say whatever i know is it he says that he understands that both of them are the two wings of creation vidya vidya mamatanu the gita says you know that's a beautiful line in the gita i mean krishna says the good and evil are the two sides of me and when good and evil becomes my left hand and my right hand they are transformed into vidya and avidya the two wings you know that's like prophet zoroaster flying like an eagle you know that's a symbol of ancient zoroastrianism which is from the atharvaveda then what happens then by virtue of avidya i'll go a little slowly by virtue of avidya you transcend death why how do you do that because if you don't and avidya you won't commit mistakes and if you don't commit mistakes you don't charge the law of causation if you cannot charge of the law of causation you don't get out of a body and you need to incarnate in another body to fulfill the unfulfilled task in the previous births so avidya is not the cause of evil avidya is the cause of good and it charges transmigration metempsychosis and you go on from one body to the next body you go from one death to the death. so by virtue of avidya you transcend death you transcend death you transcend death that is the beautiful thing so avidya is seen as a is as a gift of the mother that's the beauty of isha upanishad on the one hand and on the other hand by virtue of vidya which is meditation and satyaguna and vishuddha satya you you bring down the immortality from above so he or whoever it is can see the two as the same side the two sides of the same coin he by virtue of avidya transcends death that's ascent of human mind and by virtue of vidya he makes the amrita descend so as the end of it you have a binary composite so from this side of infinity in the words of swami vivekananda he said that in practical vedanta you are going to the other side of infinity and and by virtue of vidya from the other side of infinity you come to this side of infinity so it's a crossover and when you understand that then you know that this whole world is actually not a dhoka it is actually a sports it is a sports of purusha and prakriti shiva and shakti biparit ratatura you know opposite they are not they are not in opposition to each other they are complementary they are complementary so this is the path of shiva which is ascent and this is a path of tantra that is yoga and this is tantra 
So yoga takes you from this side to that side. And Tantra brings you from that side to this side. So one who knows the two as one, he becomes, and to him, Krishna says, Sarvabhutastatmanam, that is one side. I am here in, in everything on this side of the river, in each and everything. And he just says, Sarvabhutani Chatmani. But I am also there on the other side where everything is in that. So, uh, so that sloka is also there in the Vishwapanishad, which gets repeated in the Gita. So where I get that two-way power of seeing in everything that and also seeing in that everything. He who can see the two things together, Ikshate Yoga Juttatma Sarvatra Shamadashima. Sri Aurobindo calls that the supramental, the Vigyana. That is, that is the Vigyana. So he, for him, there is neither death nor there is life because he is, he is, uh, he is interconnected. He is everywhere. So where will he die and where will he be alive? The question of life and death is transcended. He becomes integral. He becomes integrated. He becomes akand. Akandanananda. He becomes akand. And that is the supreme summit of Sri Aurobindo. And he, he, he explains that to the ascending triangle and the descending triangle, which is also the star of David of ancient Judaism. But Judaism in course of that lost that original wisdom and it became a Semitic religion later. But in India, by virtue of tapasya, by virtue of Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, Gnosis, Sadhanam. So we don't believe in a God above, we believe in a God within, the Chaitya Purusha. So on the, on the other side of the river, you have Param Purusha. And on this side of the river, you have Chaitya Purusha. You have Chaitya Purusha. So who is going to take us to the other side of the river? The Chaitya Purusha on this side of the river. And who is going to bring us again back to this side of the river? The Param Purusha. But who finally guarantees the two journeys? It is the mother, the mother alone, who guarantees the relationship between the Chaitya Purusha on this side of the river, the psychic soul, and the Param Purusha, the transcendental supreme soul on the other side of the river. So this is actually the, the, this is the foundation, the completeness of Indian spirituality. A time has come with the coming in of Sri Aurobindo and the mother. Vladimir is there as a living representation of that. That truth, that complete truth of Indian spirituality shall be unfolded. And the mystery of death as well as life uh, will be solved. Will be solved. Thank you. Danyawad, this was so beautiful, and uh, I do realize that the time we have is very less to actually touch upon such a such a very profound subject as death, dying, and beyond. Uh, because unfortunately, we are always told it's ashub. Don't even talk about death. Uh, however, I truly believe that if we integrate this as a part of our growing up, if we understand this, then there is no fear and, and you know, we'll be able to deal with everything, making our life more beautiful with each life that we take rebirth as. Satyajit, I hand it over to you for the Q&A and the gratitude ceremony. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Professor Malakapadiyaji. So yeah, we have nine minutes more, so we can take a couple of questions. So there is one question uh, by Pragya Upadhyaya. 
she's asking that how the educators need to address the untimely death of the parents of the children in big numbers right now in our schools so this is the question okay so this is a who take radhibi you want to take it or i i <laughs> yeah actually so so we are on this side of the river you know and we have the conflict you know we have created an education system which is reductionist you know it, it has divided uh, spirit and matter you know so spirit is anti matter and matter is anti spirit so our entire current education policy is guided by this so based on that the students are stressed and the untimely death of the of the students are causing even more anxiety in the current situation of the pandemic you know deaths are always there but not right now the recurrence of death and and the possibilities of death the anxiety around the possibilities of death is very high so what has to come so if you go to the book the foundations of indian culture by sri aurobindo i mean the the interesting thing is that uh, we have uh, we have uh, colleges and schools who are going to teach talk about indian knowledge system but i, I think one of the first textbooks of indian knowledge systems is the foundation of indian culture so sri aurobindo talks about education there an indian education system is essentially akhand it's integrated it's integrated but the education that we are imparting in our schools is absolutely reductionist it's differentiated it's differentiated so that's why i am a teacher at iit kharagpur and i am not equipped with the vocabulary neither the understanding of helping my students because a blind man will lead another blind man because i, I don't have that knowledge so what happens there needs to be a a great change in our education system where at the heart of the education system as mother founded in the education of auroville you know that is an example as gurudev ravindranath founded in shantiniketan and many and a few others where at the where at the center of bookish education and as swami ji has said if education means books and libraries and all that then then that's the end of education these are the words of swami vivekananda so with the present system of education it is almost a failure so the answer is actually uh, a tough one and there's a long way to go and the current humanity is at stress and uh, i think the policy makers and people like joy sen and others will soon realize that that there needs to be you know we treat our students as communities i'll just end with this how many of us teachers i mean treat our students as our own sons and daughters you know i mean education begins there you know you go to the schools and colleges you'll see as if they're it's like pink floyds we don't need your education that's an english song you know you know boys are coming in and girls are going out girls are coming in boys are going out so the i mean i mean people are just getting educated for jobs and money you know, but not for education's sake you know some you you want to be a computer science because it's getting the maximum number of job you know you don't love computer science because of its relationship with physics and there's no teacher in computer science will show you that linkage between physics and computer science because they think physics is a backward uh, topic which was taught about 70 80 years back when meghnath shah or shatyan bosh they became physicists so these are serious problems in our education society so if we cannot even solve the educational problem how can we solve simple ideas about anxiety imaginary fear and the fear psychosis 
that drains our students because the teachers are driven by the fear psychosis. So how will a blind man guide another young blind little boy? That's a big question. I think I've just initiated the answer. I could not answer fully. That's it. Thank you. For this is a very sincere answer. This is lovely to hear. Really, we do not have the answer to this within our mindset or within our vocabulary or way of thinking. How can we really address this? There is a beautiful other question here, as you see. Yes. Why does God send the soul to earth? <laughs> this is a really profound question. Why does he need to make this cycle? He is God. Why he makes this eternal play of soul, matter, energy, etc.? Why all this trouble? He is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Everything is within him. Why to go to the extent of this death and suffering and uh, finding oneself? This is a profound question. And um, the answer is somewhere given by Sri Aurobindo and the mother, of course, uh, in the way that mother says that, you see, he possesses himself in his supreme identity. He has everything within himself. He needs nothing, really. But he wanted to experience himself in unity, if it makes sense, some sense. So he wanted to be many, as in Indian tradition they say, Bahusyam, may I be many. What does it really mean to be many? It means to experience oneself in unity. As Mother says, he wanted to have an additional Ananda, if you can say so. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> the one who has all Ananda wanted to have some additional Ananda. And so how did he get there? He, because each focal point of consciousness can generate from its the supreme in this particular view, focal view, which gives you again the whole vision of the whole in a particularly unique entry. And through this, he can generate unique relations with himself. And these unique relations multiply, infinitely multiply his Ananda. So this is why <laughs> he went to this trouble <laughs> to create this world. Yeah, the trouble of creation. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. So it was very interesting and thought-provoking to hear the perspectives about life, death, dying, and beyond. Uh, thank you so much, Professor Joyce Enji and Dr. Vladimir Yetsenkochi for your time. It was a privilege to have you both for this uh, webinar and the panel discussion. Uh, I would like to thank Professor Malakapadiaji for moderating the panel discussion. And finally, I would like to thank all our participants for joining for the webinar and the panel discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you.